I recall being at a Catholic wedding many years ago, and it was, of course, a full mass, and I was so lost throughout the entire service. <laughs> I didn't know if I was supposed to cross myself or genuflect or, st I mean, it's a workout in calisthenics, standing and sitting, and as if a Protestant taking communion at the Catholic Church wasn't insulting enough because we do like this and they open their mouths, you know, it's just a personal space thing for me, you know, the wafer and all. The one way to tell who's Protestant and who's Catholic happens when the Lord's Prayer is prayed. And I was so excited, I knew that part of the prayer. I knew that part of the service. Well, we got to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you know what Catholics say next? Nothing. <laughs> but the Protestants, we just keep on going, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And then we realize the, the very people who were actually supposed to be there weren't talking, just the Protestants. Lesson learned. Why are there two endings to the Lord's Prayer? The Catholics use the, the scriptural, the more historic ending. Uh, Matthew and Luke end with today's lesson in the Lord's Prayer. It, it wasn't until the second century in a writing called the Didache uh, that church rules, the church gave rules for worshiping and it added the doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power, we pray that part every week. I'll, I'll say more about that next Sunday as we conclude this series on the Lord's Prayer. All that to say, technically today uh, is the end of the earliest version of the Lord's Prayer. So when Jesus was asked how to pray, he concluded by telling his disciples, pray in this way, lead us and deliver us. It's a directional statement, lead us and deliver us. I, I've been saying throughout this series that the lines of, of this prayer, we know it's so familiar, but rarely do we slow down long enough to process what the prayer is telling us, but it's meant to be part of our daily rhythm, our pulse in praying this prayer. It, this part of the prayer, lead us, Lord, deliver us, Lord, should be part of the, it should be the first thing we do before we wake up every morning and log on to Facebook or look at our calendars or do anything else. Lead us, lead me, personalize it. Lead me this day, Lord. Help me to avoid temptation. Pull me out, rescue me from evil. But more tangibly, this latter part of the Lord's Prayer is about boundaries and it's about temptation. And when we push up against those boundaries and when we overstep those boundaries, what we're praying is, Lord, lead me, lead us as a church, lead us as a family, not into temptation. And then when we find ourselves in it, deliver us from that evil. This is a boundary prayer. You know it all too well, we all do, that Anytime a policy is set in place, we might view it more as a suggestion than a law. Like 55 miles an hour really means you're going to set your cruise on how fast? Yeah, yeah, 65, right. Some of you are honest, right? Great. 65, right. Or please do not throw coins in the fountain, <laughs> right. I mean, if you really wanted to put on waders and put on the gloves, you could dig out a lot of money from the fountain because people just see that boundary and they cross, they cross. We all have moments when we're tempted. We see that boundary that's there. We want to test it. We want to push past it to see if we can get away with it. That temptation is what we're talking about today. Lord, lead us 
and deliver us. And those examples are fairly benign, but there are other areas of life where consequences can be so much more severe, those from which we need to be led and from which we need to be delivered. In every premarital counseling session that I have with couples, I frame the entire uh, conversation like this. Your two lives are becoming one. And for that one life to be the healthiest uh, life that it can be in covenant with Christ, you're going to have to figure out how to manage boundaries and expectations. Boundaries of your time, of your money, of intimacy, of family dynamics, of hobbies, communication, lack of communication. A healthy marriage may be framed in that way. Manage boundaries and expectations. For example, a small uh, wager that goes unchecked and is kept secret from one's spouse can ruin and can lead to a whole gambling addiction and can ruin something. What begins as a call or a text can become a hug and the next thing you know a marriage is, is destroyed. Coming home from the office is a boundary that needs to be set. It begins as 10 minutes late and 15 minutes late and and we get home and then we realize I haven't had the chance to have supper with my family in weeks or I haven't tucked my children in. What is happening? It's, it's the boundary. We're pushing up against it. We're pushing past it. Or driving after one glass of wine becomes two, becomes three. We don't have anyone to keep us in check. And before we know it, there's a DUI or there's something even worse, a fatality. And that wrecks a whole system. So Jesus says to his disciples, at the end of this prayer, the way I want you to pray is lead us, Lord, and deliver us. Deliver us from ourselves and the pain that we can cause ourselves and we can cause others. This series, by the way, is called The Prayer That Jesus Lent Us because, well, it's Lent and I like homographs and this one works nicely. But to be lent something, to be loaned something means there's a return policy. So Jesus gives us this prayer, but in return, we pray it every day and then we allow the grace of Christ through it to begin shaping us. We start living the prayer, hallowing God's name, being agents of God's kingdom coming into this world. Forgiving, not only as forgiven people, we forgive and we practice the discipline of forgiveness. And today we say, lead us, Lord. And we have to be willing to change. Deliver us, Lord. And we must be willing to follow and to reach up and to grab the hand, as Jason said, uh, the hand of God that will not let go of us. We are all tempted by something and we all can either manage that or we think we can manage that or worse, we think we can get away with it and manage the consequences and we can't. I heard Adam Hamilton tell a story once about four guys who were in a, an accountability group. Some of you are in small groups ranging from youth all the way up to our older ages and I know we have some men's accountability groups too and sometimes what you do is you share the things with which you're struggling and then you pray for one another. Well in this group they decided they were going to share that uh, which tempted them. So the first guy said, fellas I struggle staying up too late and I watch movies that I know I shouldn't be watching. The second guy said, well I, I sometimes slip off to the casino at lunch without telling my wife and the third guy says, I tend to drink too much and too often. And the fourth guy was not really engaged and was on his phone and he had a social media app open. And they said, hey, here we are pouring out our, our soul to you, our temptations. What about you? What is it that you struggle with? And he pressed sin and he said, I struggle with gossip, guys. <laughs> Where were we, right? Self-awareness and boundaries, they go hand in hand knowing where those lines are in life and, and how 
Christ has set those for us, this perimeter for us, and then saved us from the times that we overstep it. And knowing how the church is supposed to round, uh, surround us so that we don't fall off the edge either. That's the beauty of baptism and the communal nature of baptism like we just shared with Jack. We will not, we will not let him go. We are surrounding him with a community of love and care. So we pray, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. Lead us and deliver us. This, this whole dance, by the way, it, it's all throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve knew it. Any tree but that one. Right? Cain knew it. He's your brother. He's not your enemy. He killed him. The kings knew it. We'd turn our back on Torah. Right? David knew where those lines were. And he still committed murder and adultery with Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband. Judas knew not to sell out Jesus. Peter knew where that boundary was. Don't deny him. You're the pillar of the church. The disciples knew not to abandon Jesus, and they did. Ananias and Sapphira later in Acts. It's a wonderful story. They knew where the boundary was. Don't withhold this for yourself, but be all in with your resources, and they weren't. And it says they were struck down dead. Well, Jesus knew about those temptations too. He knows part of what the, the story today from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel teaches us is that Jesus knows our human condition. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to walk right up to that boundary, but then he also knows how to walk away from it. And so we find ourselves on, at the precipice and we're tempted by wealth or power or prestige or through relationships. And, and they're all just kind of tickling our pride saying, it's okay Later in his ministry, I think that's why he ended the prayer by saying, pray to be led and to be delivered. Behind every decision to act on a temptation is a justification. It's okay to do this. It's just a, a small thing, but that small thing leads to something larger and then more flammable, and that leads to another step and then another step. And before we know it, we're so blind, we can't even see the consequences and the damage that we're doing. Stones into bread. It seems so insignificant. Just one little bite, Jesus. Nobody will know it. It's just the two of us here, man. Just one little bite. Had Jesus taken that bite, turned the stones into bread, you know what was waiting for him right behind that temptation? Psst. Now that you did it for yourself, just think how powerful you could be if you just did it for everyone else so they could see your supernatural. You could just flex a little bit for them. Jesus said, that's not what this is about. And he quotes scripture to the devil, who also quotes scripture, by the way. Or at the high point of the temple, Jesus would die, but he could just call the angels and they could catch him. And then everyone who was there would see how spectacular Jesus was, how powerful he was, more powerful than even Rome, more powerful than anything they had ever seen. And then he took him up to the high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. You can have all the houses, all the cars, all the toys, anything you want, Jesus, just... Just say the word and it's yours. Just dip your toes just across that boundary line and it's all, it's all yours. But that's not why Jesus came. Yeah, but Jesus, the road to the cross, is, it's so hard. Take the easy road. And we hear the same little voice, don't we? Following Jesus is so hard. Just take the easy way. It's easy for us to say, yeah, that's Jesus. He had it all figured out. And by the way, he was God. But what we're seeing... And that's true, but what we're seeing is his humanity and his ability through his own free will to resist 
temptation just like we can. There's one more thing I, I want to say about this text, and it has to do with grammar, believe it or not. Uh, you've seen that, that humorous meme that talks about the importance of, of commas, a family sitting around a table, and the, the headline says, let's eat grandpa, right? You've seen that? It's supposed to say, let's eat, comma, grandpa, you know, commas save lives, yes? <laughs> well, in this text, in this line of the Lord's Prayer, we say and and pray it differently than how it's supposed to read. We say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that theology has shaped so many of our lives as if God is leading us into temptation. James, the brother of Jesus, says it's not in God's nature to tempt us. That's what the devil does. So we pray all the time, lead us not into temptation. How it should read is lead us, comma, not into temptation, comma, but deliver us. Lead us, because that's what you do, Lord, not into temptation. That's what we do to ourselves, Lord. Lead us where you want us to go. For on our own, we're going to find our way into a pit. Lead me where your spirit would have us to go because my flesh is always going to guide me in the wrong direction. Right? I give up bread every year for Lent, and I pray this text or this Matthean version of the temptation of Jesus or either the Lucan version because I think it's so important. And it helps me focus on the Word of God. Two times a week, I, I fast uh, during the season of Lent, and I try to focus on, on this text as, as part of that. Uh, and I give up bread. Um, and one doesn't really know how many food items include bread until one attempts to give it up for 40 days, right? It's hard. But every Tuesday morning, our amazing kitchen team, they bake the most wonderful biscuits for the men's Bible study. Some of you are shaking your heads. You've had them. They have buttered biscuits. They have buttered biscuits that have sausage and egg on them and sausage and bacon egg and bacon egg and cheese and oh, they're so delectably wrapped and displayed in Wesley Hall. And I know myself, and I've given up bread. So instead of coming through the breezeway, past the kitchenette, down to uh, this uh, Epworth room over here, I've intentionally gone around the north side so I can avoid the kitchenette altogether, right? Well, I started out entering Wesley Hall, and then I found the aroma. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's rude of me not to walk down to the kitchenette and greet the guys as they come in. So I did. And then I thought to myself, eh, you know, it's, I was, it's kind of rude for me not to be closer to the kitchenette. So when Michelle and Betty come back over, I can thank them for the hard work. And so I'm guiltily glancing over at this behemoth bowl of biscuits at this point. And so I did. I stood there. And then I thought to myself, you know, I really need to take my, my vitamins, and they require food, or else it makes my stomach upset. So I'll just get one, and I'll eat the meat. I won't eat the bread. Right. Well, I did. But then the egg and the cheese stuck to the bread, and I didn't want to waste it. So I walked outside, and I thought, I'll just leave it, you know, like we do communion bread. Well, then I started thinking, can squirrels and birds have egg and cheese? I don't know. And plus, it's really just distasteful to have bread for our guests as they're arriving. So I might as well be hospitable, care for the birds and the squirrels, not upset my stomach, honor the hard work of our kitchen crew by just eating the whole thing. So I did. <laughs> and just like that, I broke my fast. And it sounds so silly, 
except one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I'm trying to focus on that this year. And Jesus said to his disciples, can't you just do this one little thing and stay awake and see where I'm leading you and how I'm trying to deliver you? Yes, Lord, but let me finish my biscuit first. Right? It's only one biscuit, Jay. No one's watching. Go ahead and, and indulge. Hmm. My spirit is weak, my willing, but my flesh is weak, especially when it comes to bacon and scrambled eggs. The point is we can justify any temptation. And I don't know what your biscuit analogy is, but you all have one. You all have one. It seems so unassuming. It seems so minor, but it can, can it just grow? If we don't have the right people and the right willpower in our lives, if we don't just understand that temptation is trying to get us into a whole lot of trouble. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us means rush over to me, scoop me up, swoop me up from this mess that I, I found myself in. And what I want you to know as you prepare now for Holy Communion to come forward is that I think this last part is the way of the cross. To pray to be led and to be delivered. Because being delivered from the inability to deliver ourselves is the first step in discipleship. It's the first step in salvation. That's what we're praying. Lead me, Lord. I can't lead myself. Deliver me, Lord. I'm always going to find myself in a pit. I can't do it on my own. Next week is Palm Sunday. And we'll conclude our study on the Lord's Prayer. We will shout Hosanna. We will come in waving palm branches, singing all glory loud and, and honor. We'll hear the voices of children filling up the sanctuary with songs. But just a few days later, Jesus will be betrayed, sold out, abandoned, and dead. When we pray, lead us and deliver us, we're asking for Christ to guide us all the way to the cross where we too will be asked to lay it all down for holiness sake. So lead us, will we follow, deliver us, but will we reach up and take the hand when it comes? I invite you to pray with the confidence of heaven, the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray as we pray together saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.